We're here. We're here. And uh, we're... Uh, we're blended. Blended and shaken. Oh, yeah. We're crying time on the rocks, by the way. Oh, hi. Um, I'm shaken. She's blended. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I have only ever had this drink as a shot. I'm very excited to have it. I've only ever tried this drink from, like, a glass from my grandparents, I'm pretty sure. Okay, that cracks me up because this particular shot, we're doing the what? Grasshopper. The grasshopper. This particular drink, as a shot, was incredibly popular with the girls when I worked at the bar in the 90s, in the early 90s. Well, it, like, ew, let's do a grasshopper shot. When I was looking for um, story ideas, I found this little blurb about why the grasshopper has remained popular. And part of it is because it doesn't taste like alcohol. And it's super just easy to drink. Yes. And Which is why the girls in the 1990s liked it yes. as a shot. And yours almost looks like a milkshake. Um, mine is a milkshake. It like I cannot tell a difference between my drink and my blended coffee over here. Okay, I'm going to try mine shaken. Okay. And we'll try mine blended. Ooh, that's really minty. Yes, it is. I'm sucking on an Andy's mint. Yeah. Um, or mint chocolate ice cream. It's a lot for me. <laughs> it's a lot. I'll drink it. I like mint. Yeah. It's I'm, very sweet. I'm definitely glad this is uh, not at the end of the night because that would be, <laughs> it would be too much. It's, it's, I'm eating mint chocolate ice cream. It's literally. We're, what is it right now? Like 9.30 in the morning? Yes. It's 9.30 so it's, a, it's a nice like breakfast cocktail. It's a breakfast cocktail. Maybe a dessert cocktail if you're not too full. Oh, it's for sure. Yes. It tastes exactly like mint chocolate chip mm -hmm. ice cream. Um, child number one would love it because that's her favorite ice cream. Well, one day she'll be old enough to have one. So mm. Coming faster than we think. I know. We just purchased her first car. We go pick it up this weekend. Oh, it's so cute. I love it. It's really cute. I can't. We need to drive around in it. <sighs> I know. I want to take little one to gymnastics in it. Yeah. Husband is poo-pooing that idea just once though maybe yeah so do you want to go first since um i'll go first okay so i can enjoy my drink before it turns into warm heavy cream <laughs> oh i didn't say what was in this oh yeah what's in it so it's creme de mint which Probably. i had to go to three liquor stores to find some creme de cacao and heavy cream you can look at our uh recipe in our show notes but pretty simple blend and you yeah. can either blend it or shake it, or I guess you can have it over ice also. That's an option. Um, blended, it is 100% mint chocolate chip ice cream. That's what I'm drinking liquefied versions of. So my um, story, I mean, even my sources after, Professor Jeff Lockwood of Wyoming describes being in a swarm mm. of grasshoppers as they explode from beneath your feet, there's a sort of rolling wave that forms out in front of you. Then they hit up against your body and cling against your clothes. It's almost like being imprisoned in a gigantic living being. Ew, that sounds awful. So that horrified me. I I was really having a difficult time with them. this because grasshoppers are my biggest fear oh i forgot that yes no that's yes. true i am deathly deathly afraid of them despite having vacationed a few summers in texas and nashville and the south in the summer and despite 
having for numerous years leopard geckos that I had to feed live crickets to. So this is horrifying. This for is you. horrifying for me. I remember walking from a parking lot to go to it through a parking lot to go to the movies in Texas with my mouth clamped as tight as I could clamp it. And my arms just folded in on themselves, <laughs> just in a complete panic the whole time I was outside. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. But I am going to tell you a little bit about them for a moment. So on July 26th, 1931, a swarm of grasshoppers descends on crops throughout the American heartland, devastates millions of acres. Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, just decimated. <laughs> um, in July, the swarm was so thick that it blocked out the sun. And you could shovel them with a scoop. Okay, that's disgusting. Yes, corn stalks were eaten all the way to the ground. On June 12th, 1873, farmers in southwestern Minnesota saw what looked like a snowstorm coming towards them, but it was grasshoppers. <laughs> they saw what seemed to be snowflakes. Um, in a matter of hours, knee-high fields of grass and wheat were gone. There was more between 73 and 77 Minnesota surrounding states. In 1876 alone, grasshoppers visited 40 Minnesota counties and destroyed 500,000 acres of crops. Um, so when you always hear about swarms like of destructive insects, I always think of the locusts. I don't think of grasshoppers, but that's a lot of destruction. Yes. Um, in April, the snowstorm damaged many of their eggs, and that encouraged farmers to redouble their efforts, and they were able to um, end the plague and the, of the devastating infestation. There's even, so as long as there's been crops, there's been grasshopper infestations. Um, locusts were one of the plagues in the Bible, but I don't want to talk about those because they're gross. Oh, so what are, you're not doing... <laughs> I'm not doing a grasshopper disaster. Okay, that's not where I thought this was going. I'm doing the author of The Ant and the Grasshopper, Aesop. Oh, Chuck. Chuck, because he... Because I don't like grasshoppers. They're gross. And I don't want to talk about devastation of crops for... 40 minutes from gross insects. Okay, so this will be a pleasant grasshopper. Yes, this is a pleasant grasshopper story. So the ant and the grasshopper, if you don't know the story, um, on a bright <coughs> day in autumn, a family of ants were bustling about in the warm sunshine, drying out their grain that they'd stored from the summer. When a starving grasshopper with his fiddle under his arm came up and humbly begged for a bite to eat. What? cried the ants in surprise. Haven't you stored anything away for the winter? What in the world have you been doing all summer? And the grasshopper says, I didn't have time to store up food. I was so busy making music that before I knew it, summer was gone. The ants shrugged their shoulders in disgust. Making music, were you? Which I do like grasshopper chirping, but they're far away. Yeah, just that. don't bring them. Don't bring them any closer. So anyway, they cried very well, now dance. And they turned their backs on the grasshopper and went back to work. The moral of the story, as Aesop has always want to do, is there's a time for work and a time for play. So I'm sure all of you have heard that story growing up. However, you probably didn't know that it came from Aesop, who he authored a collection of Greek fables. I found a, a site that I forgot. Um, so my source is Grasshoppers Devastate. Midwestern Crops, Grasshopper Plagues, Grasshopper Natural History in Notebooks, The Ant and the Grasshopper, Aesop Biography, Aesop History, Fables and Facts, Britannica, 
Aesop Wikipedia, and this is the side I was just saying, if you are a teacher and you are teaching fables, Aesop's Fables selected fables, 656 plus fables. It gives lesson plans with the fable listed next to the moral. Mm. I wanted to print it and read a few, but I forgot. <laughs> so anyway, Aesop may or may not have been a real person. They don't know. Oh, I just always thought that he or she was a real person. I'm so assuming a he because it was old. But Yes, So and he was known. <laughs> so did I. Um, that I was... Um, don't even want to know. No, it's fine. That was Cat knocking my backpack off the um, stool. He tends to knock things off. I'm going to go... He broke one of my martini glasses once. So anyway, various attempts were made in the ancient times to establish him as an actual person. We don't know much about his origins. He has been linked to Amerinium, Phrygia, Egypt, Ethiopia, Samoa, Athens, Sardinus, Thrace, and many other places. Where all those places were suggested as his place of birth. That's a vast array of vast places. Vast array of places, yes. Um, his date of birth is also uncertain. They're estimating around 620 BC in Thrace at the side of the, the Black Sea coast around the city of Mesbria. Um, some Imperial Roman writers say that he was born in Phygria. The third century poet Callimachus says he called him Aesop of Sardis. Lots of places have, or lots of people have him different places depending on the century, etc. Most likely, if he was a real person, he was an Ethiopian. Um, they've based that off of his name, mostly. Um, the most it's suggested that he was a slave for the king of on the island of Samos as a slave who gained his freedom from his master, and then he went to Babylon to serve as a riddle solver for the king Lycurgus. And then finally was killed in Delphi. So a riddle solver, is was that like a pastime? Or is that like, I just need somebody to like, a fixer kind of thing? I don't know. I, I would liken it almost to a jester, I would think. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like if it was an entertainment thing or mm -hmm. if it was like... Because that's what he did. He told stories. Yeah. That so, makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, Aristotle and Herodotus wrote of Aesop as a slave in Samos. And his first master was named by... A man named Xanthius, and then he was sold to a man named Iadamon, Iadomen. <clears throat> but he must eventually been freed because he argued as an advocate for a wealthy Sumerian, and then he ended up in Delphi. So Plutarch says that Aesop came from Delphi on a diplomatic mission from the king of Croesus of Lydia. And while he was there, he insulted the Delphinians. <laughs> Oops. And they didn't like him, so they sentenced him to death on a trumped-up charge of temple theft, and then they threw him off a cliff. Oh, uh, ouch. Yes. And he died? He died. That is how he died. Um, but before his fatal episode, he met with the Periander of Corinth, where Plutarch wrote of him doing the seven stages, during dining with the seven sages of Greece, and sitting beside his friend Solon, who he met in Sardis. Um, but that's not the last of our little, there's all kinds of stories here. So the historian Herodotus said that Aesop also met a violent death at the hands of the Delphinians, but it was for different reasons than insulting them. 
in this story, they figure his death is around 560 BC, but there's problems with that date. There's a lot of scholars that have been working on this and trying to figure out whether or not he was real, and they always run into, well, that doesn't work because this happened in this time, and he was supposedly lived in this time. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the there's a, another story that says that Aesop was with in Athens, and he was telling the fable of the frogs to the king, and that was when he committed the atrocity that made him be thrown off the cliff but the problem with that story is that occurred decades after he was supposedly dead there's all kinds of evidence other evidence well other suggestions that he may just be they may just have started collecting fables and putting his name to them but there are scattered references to him in ancient stories as the there's one called the aesop romance Oh. So it's not, it's a love story-ish, but it's, um, it's known as Vita or the life of Aesop or the book of Xanthius, the philosopher and Aesop, his slaves. It was done by an anonymous Greek writer and supposedly composed around the second century BC or um, AD. AD. The Alexander romance, the Aesop romance, both became folk books. They belonged to no one writer felt so people felt free to modify it, modify it. So it has gone over, undergone all these different changes, like his stories have. Yeah, you know, they yeah. kind of change and, and go to fit. The earliest known version was probably written in the first century CE, and the story may have circulated in different versions for centuries before it was actually written down. He's been given all kinds of credit for these moral stories, even moral. They're suspecting that even stories that he didn't. Right, even if he was a real person. So, like, moral story comes up. Oh, Aesop wrote that. Even yeah. if they talked about it, you know, 500 years later or whatever. Because they're just like, oh, that's an Aesop that's story. That's an Aesop story, yeah. So, he supposedly was a slave in Phalagian origin. This is in the story, the Aesop romance, on the island of Samos. And he was horribly ugly. Just a very, very ugly fellow. <laughs> to the point that he couldn't even speak. He was so deformed, he couldn't even speak. But then... He was kind Beauty to and the priestess beast. of Isis. Yes. And she granted him not only speech, but the gift of clever storytelling. And he used that gift of clever storytelling to assist in confounding his ma master, Xanthius, and embarrassing the philosopher in front of his students and even sleeping with the queen. After interpreting the potent portent for the people of Samos, Aesop is then given his freedom, and he acts as an emissary between the Samians and King Croesus. Later on, he goes to Lycurgus of Babylon and Nekatabu of Egypt. Neither one of these people were real. They were imaginary rulers. Okay. And in a section that appears to, is it's kind of stealing from another story, the romance of Aquar. The story ends when he goes to Delphi, in which he angers the citizens by telling insulting fables and is sentenced to death, and they force him to jump off the cliff. <laughs> so he always gets forced off of They're a like, cliff. Jump, jump, <laughs> jump, yes. jump. The actual story of Aesop's romance begins with a vivid description of his appearance. It is, quote, of loathsome aspect, pot-bellied, misshapen head, snub-nosed, swarthy, dwarfish, bandy-legged, short-armed, squint-eyed, liver-lipped, a pond portentous monstrosity. Well, he sounds hideous. <laughs> he sounds hideous. But he's made beautiful by Isis. 
but the, the the man who wrote that description or who was giving that description, they're saying that he lived 800 years after Aesop. So he stole it from the Aesop's romance story. Yes. Yes. Um, a later tradition says that Aesop was from Ethiopia. The, the Byzantine scholar in the 13th century says that he has to be Ethiopian given his name. The a version of the romance in 1867 says that his complexion was black from which a dark tincture he concocted his name. And when asked his origin by a prospective new master, he says, I am a Negro. Didn't know that was a word in... The 600s? Yes, but apparently it was. So in 1856, William Martin Leakey backed up this Ethiopian language lineage by linking the name Aesop with a... Theop, which suggested means coming from Ethiopia. Did they say whether Aesop was like a first name or a last name, or is it like they only had a name? They only or? have Aesop, yeah. The idea that he was Ethiopian also is supported by the presence of animals like camels and elephants and apes in his fables. Although some people feel that those were written, those animals could have been added in later yeah to confirm or to okay yeah kind of confirm their bias we think he's from here here's here's this and then one historian says well if aesop wasn't an african he should have been (laughs) (laughs) like well there's a way to put the proof on it one other reason possibly that this black perception could have been contributed continued was he was often compared to the trickster stories of briar rabbit his stories were compared to the trickster stories oh of yeah i rabbit. can see that mm-hmm. and some to um anansi the spider which are west african folk tales mm-hmm. and stories so they're comparing him with other comparing his stories with other stories um and they're trying to link him with uncle remus the Another reason that they're linking these stories is because many of the stories come across as a how-to handbook for the successful manipulation of your superiors. That's, actually, that's insightful. That's true. It is. Well, because that's, according to the legends, that's how he got his freedom, was by fooling his master into letting him go, or impressing his master into letting him go. I think that's what makes his stories, like... Like, you can still like him to this day because you get a little bit more out of him as an adult and you're like, oh, I see what he did there. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they bring up the tortoise and the hare and it really illustrates how to take advantage of an opponent's overconfidence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time, royalty and masters and whatnot are these very braggios, braggadocious, overconfident people. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> you mean living in the United <laughs> States in 2020 has not taught you that leaders are braggadocious? <laughs> Some of the legends even travel to Japan. There is evidence of his fables in 17th century Japan. The Portuguese missionary introduced, had an introduction of a translation of his fables from Japan. And um, this included a biography of Aesop. There was artwork in Japan depicting Aesop. Um, There's lots of artwork of Aesop throughout the centuries. Many where he's ugly, many where he's poor. Um, There's also this idea that he had this um other slave woman and he were lovers and what is her name they had her written as a couple of different names 
The French poet and fabulous Jean de La Fontaine revised his translations and added different material from other cultures. So he's still being added to even in more current times. Um, he was on Rocky and Bullwinkle. I do not remember an Aesop character in Rocky and Bullwinkle. Do you? No, I do. Apparently, I didn't like Rocky, Rocky Bullwinkle. and Bullwinkle though. Oh, you so didn't. I mm-hmm. did. I, I always like would go past it typically. There was also a television show in the seventies where, of all people, Bill Cosby played Aesop. I think that one does ring a bell. Interesting. I didn't remember that either. But so he's just he's used over and over again, depicted over and over again, um, paintings and stories and plays and all kind and television shows and whatnot. In 1690, a French playwright wrote a play. Oh, Dorca, that was the girlfriend's name, um, where he's he and Dorca are lovers and they manipulate their way away from their master. Sir John Vandenberg's comedy premiered at the. Theatre Royale in Drury Lane, London in 1697 and was performed there on and off for over 20 years. Oh my goodness. So he's very, like, his his stuff holds up. A lot of the plays have to do with his love of Dorcas, Dorca, or Rodompo, as she's also known. R-H-O-D-O-P-E. Not a pronunciation person. Um, later in the 19th century, Aesop was a subject of tales made popular from entertaining the maids of Xanthius, a depiction of the fabulous by a laughing young woman, went on to win a prize in 1876. And um, in the 20th century, there were three short novels written about him, um, which was a fictional biography, and they actually went through what was supposed to be his life, but it was very much panned by the um, critics, they didn't like it. They made him an ugly mute slave and he's delivered by wretchedness from the gods by this beauty with a beautiful, wondrous voice. So that's basically the romance tale told over again. Yeah, he was also depicted in Richard Durham's Destination Freedom radio show broadcast in 1849. And the drama, The Death of Aesop, portrayed him as an Ethiopian. And in 1971, Bill Cosby starred as Aesop in the TV series productions Aesop Fables, The Tortoise and the Hare. Yeah, I feel like I did maybe see that because that does ring I don't, I don't remember that at all. So I want to look it up and, and find it. But, and then my intention, like I said, was to talk about some of the other tales. I remember using some of Aesop's tales in when I was teaching fourth, fifth, and sixth grade all in one room. I used some of his tales to bridge all three grade levels as far as the folk tales and fables oh, go. Oh, yeah. That makes um, sense. Yeah. But I thought that was more interesting than locusts eating fields and fields of. Yeah, because I mean. I mean, there wasn't, I, did, I feel like I didn't tell you much. I'm like, he may have lived, he may not have lived. Here's some stories, sort of. He might have been really ugly. He might have been really ugly. <laughs> may have been for Africa, may but have been then Greek. If you would have just done the grasshopper devastation, it would have been like a timeline of like, and then grasshoppers ate this many <laughs> acres of wheat. Yes, exactly. And the farmers did this to stop them. <laughs> and I didn't want to talk about creepy, crawly, gross grasshoppers. Well, my grasshopper is not creepy, crawly, and gross. Good. I'm going to enjoy my drink. Mine's golden. A golden grasshopper? I want a golden grasshopper. No, yes. I don't because they're gross. So we're going to start in Boston. Boston's Faneuil Hall was built in 1742. It was a meeting place and a market house. So it was gifted to the city of Boston by a man named Peter Faneuil. Faneuil. 
at his own cost. He was a slave merchant, and the building was funded in parts by profits from the slave trade. So at first, like, some of the city councilmen were like, they didn't want to accept it, but then at the same time, they really wanted the meeting place and this Mm -hmm. giant market house. So by a slim majority, it passed, and they accepted the gift from um, Peter Faneuil. It's interesting how so many of these towns and whatnot have this moral stand of you know we don't want this oh but we really really want this thing we really want this thing you it's take gonna, your dirty money it's it, fine it'll be free <laughs> <laughs> um so perched atop faneuil hall since it was built is a golden grasshopper weather vane the weather vane is four feet long weighs about 80 pounds and it's made out of copper and it was covered in 23 karat gold um, I thought this was cool. The eyes, it has glass eyes, and they were they used glass doorknobs for the eyes. Oh, I love glass doorknobs. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of so cool. So that's a big old grasshopper if his eyes are the size of doorknobs. Uh-huh. No, thank you. So the grasshopper sits at the top of an eight-foot spire above Faneuil Hall's cupola. Is that how you say it? I don't know. Which is seven... cupola, but I'm not cupola. sure. Cupola. Okay. Which is seven stories like above the ground. <laughs> Um, according to legend... Seven stories is huge. How can you even see it that high? Like, you probably can't see the detail of it. Oh, you can't see the detail of it, no. But, you know, you can recognize it as a grasshopper. Mm -hmm. So, according to legend, the grasshopper was a gift from coppersmith Shem Drown to Peter Faneuil. And the legend has it that Shem Drown got discouraged by his many failures in in colonial New England as a young man... So he laid down in an open field, and when he woke up, he saw a boy chasing a grasshopper. Um, Shen, Shem began talking to the boy, and then the boy took him home to his parents, who were wealthy. They invited him for dinner. They later adopted him. Oh, my. Because he was just a young man, probably a teenager. And the golden grasshopper commemorated the turn, this turning point in Shem's life. Well, that's a nice story. Yeah. Um, See, that's like an Aesop fable. It is. be kind, get rewarded. And Shem, incidentally, Shem Drown was America's first documented documented weather vane maker. So there's a few others that um, he's well known for. One's a rooster, one's a horse, and, you know, they're in, like, colonial New England area. Oh, the the classic horse one that you see all the time? Um, I don't know if that's you know his specifically but he he did a few that are on like famous buildings ah, and stuff i want a weather vane well maybe you could get this grasshopper no. maybe no thank you <laughs> um, so the real story is is most likely that the grasshopper was recognized as a symbol of commerce because there is a grasshopper weather vane atop the royal exchange in london oh, so Probably the grasshopper was chosen to signal that Boston was also a commercial center like London was. Uh. Um, Faneuil Hall did become a hub of commercial activity, and later it became a center of abolitionism. So, oh, well, that's good. Yeah, turn the tides on the yeah, blood money. money. <laughs> so a, a historian who was not named in the article um, was quoted saying, in Old Faneuil, that guild temple of traders and aldermen, butchers and clerks, hucksters and civic magistrates, the spirit of the people conceived an embryonic nation. So, again, I'm going to assume the historian's a he because it was old-timey, but yeah. they're likening that building to the, the formation of the United States. Yeah, so the hall in Philadelphia. Yeah. They're saying it's as significant as that hall. Yes. Interesting. 
1755, the Cape Ann earthquake hit Massachusetts. It was the largest ever recorded earthquake in Massachusetts. It you do not think of Massachusetts as earthquake territory. No, it's not earthquake territory. Um, it occurred on November 18th at 4.30 in the morning, and it lasted more than a minute. It was estimated to have measured between 6 and 6.3 on the Richter scale, which is a significant earthquake. It's not as large as some on the West Coast and other parts of the world, but yeah. like you said, Boston doesn't typically have earthquakes. Yeah, they're not probably prepared for it because... Mm-hmm. Especially not occurrence. in 1755. Yeah. Um, like, we would not be compared prepared for a freezing cold winter no like texas yeah poor texas um so more than a thousand maybe it froze the grasshopper eggs uh no darn it sorry didn't mean to interrupt i just got excited for a moment (laughs) more than a thousand chimneys and a few brick buildings completely toppled and the golden grasshopper was thrown to the ground and it severed its leg oh no yeah but shem drowned son thomas was hired to repair it um, the grasshopper was also damaged in a fire in 1761, and again, Thomas was hired to repair it. In 1768, he made a time capsule with the words, food for the grasshopper on it. He placed it in the grasshopper's belly with a note that reads, to my brethren and fellow grasshoppers, fell in ye year 1753, which for some reason is now changed to 1755, because I don't know what happened, but... I'm sure there's a reason. <laughs> November 13th, which is now November 18th. They couldn't make up their mind. They yeah. delayed it a couple years. Early in ye morning by a great earthquake by my old master above. Again, like to have met with utter ruin by fire, by hopping timely from my public station, came of the broken bones and much bruised. Cured and fixed, old master's son Thomas drowned June 28, 1768. And though I will promise to discharge my office, yet I shall vary as ye wind. Um, so since okay. that, yeah, since that time, um, there's period, they've periodically taken the grasshopper down to refurbish it. Um, they've added like items in the time capsule. They put like historically significant newspapers. So they're adding things to the time capsule from later dates than when they put the time capsule in. Yeah. It's an, it's a ongoing, ongoing capsule. time capsule. <laughs> So I guess it's not a time capsule. It's a historical capsule. It's a histo- yeah, historical saving spot mm-hmm. in a grasshopper's belly. Yeah. Blah. So they frequently also put coins, and mayors would typically write a note and put place it inside the huh. capsule also. According to another legend, three men who said they came from Boston asked for aid from the American consul in Glasgow, and the consul, Samuel, Samuel Cooper, was from Boston. So he asked the men what was on top of Faneuil Hall. One said a fish, one said a horse, and the third said a grasshopper. So only the third man was given assistance. Yeah, so two of them were lying. Mm-hmm. And then also during the War of 1812, the weather vane was used as a lie detector for British spies. So if you were suspected of being a British spy, they asked you what was on top of Faneuil Hall. And if you said grasshopper, they didn't suspect you, but if you said anything else, you were suspected of being a spy. Interesting. So if you have a bad memory or don't notice things you could be in trouble or you lived outside of boston yeah like you could ask me what a certain building in town we live near looks like and i may know or i may not know depends on how observant i was last time i was by it true um so now let's talk about the heist yeah i was gonna say i'm assuming it's stolen so on january 4th 1974 the grasshopper weather vane was discovered to be missing oh incidentally this pretty much this whole section i got from 
articles at the time from the New York Times because I didn't have any way to access the Boston Globe, which was the most comprehensive newspaper articles uh-huh. because it's, I would have had to pay. Like, Is it a paywall? Yeah. But um, I was able to get these New York Times articles. Um, someone is texting my work phone and it's spring break. They can ignore them. You can ignore that. Planning on it. Um, so police suspected that a helicopter was used to remove the weather vane because it is 80 pounds and it's, you know, several stories in the air. Yeah. So according to news reports, the superintendent of, the, of Faneuil Hall um, discovered that the grasshopper was missing when he got on top of the roof to raise the flag. And the last time he remembered noticing it was a month earlier. Oh my. See? Not observant. Yeah. But <laughs> several other people said that they definitely saw it around Christmas time. So a, nub- a number of other weather vanes had been stolen around New England during this time. And um, they also suspected that the thieves were using helicopters. Which, that is a noticeable thing. I know. A helicopter hovering over a building. That does not have a helipad. That's cause for to look at. Yeah. Suspect. Even in the 70s, that would be very sketch. Like, I very much pay attention when I hear a helicopter go across my house. I mean, yeah, like you would think that it's in downtown Boston, Haymarket Square. Not a common place for just copters zooming around and lowering down booms to lift things up. Uh-uh. So Very weird. Um, so even though it was considered to be a priceless piece of history, the manager of a company that had been making weather vanes since the 1800s said that the grasshopper would probably bring hundreds of thousands of dollars on the black market. Um, The lead detective, Paul Revere Carroll, who is a direct descendant of Paul Revere. Wow! Along with the Massachusetts State Police, turned up several leads during their investigation. Um, They also had officers from other nearby towns that joined in the case. The leading theory was that the theft was perpetrated by a gang of thieves that were stealing weather vanes in Massachusetts, as I said. And they uncovered some details that... um, that showed that they were perhaps reselling them to antique dealers. I was going to say, that seems like a very specific thing to steal. You'd have to have a very specific market willing to pay for that because they, you know, go outside. And yeah. And if you suddenly have a great big gold grasshopper it's on your house. It's a four foot grasshopper. <laughs> people are going to be like, interesting weather thing. Where'd you get it? <laughs> and like what antique dealer is going to be like, oh, I'm just reselling this. <laughs> Four foot gold grasshopper. <laughs> um, it'll cost you three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> it just—it seems so stupid. Oh my goodness! So then, on January 9th, the Plymouth County District Attorney announced that a former steeplejack who was arrested on drug charges may have information regarding the grasshopper theft. So I did not know what a steeplejack was, so I looked it up. But it apparently it's a person who builds or maintains very high structures such as steeples. Oh. So Frank, that was actually what I was going to guess. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but I was like, steeplejack? Are they like jacking things off of steeples? <laughs> like the crime person would think that. So I need to look. I needed to look it up. Anyway, so that was Frank W. Price. He was a 38 year old um, man, and he turned himself into police for some drug charges and was being held on bail. By January 10th, the next day after he turned himself in, the weather vane was recovered from a hiding place. It was only a few dozen feet from where it usually sat. Well, yeah, because it's huge. Yeah. 
So it was still in the building. The detectives were led to the belfry of Faneuil Hall where they found the golden grasshopper. It was concealed by old flags, which also makes me think when the guy went up there to put up the flag, like you think all the flags would kind of be in the same area. Did you not notice like a four foot like um, obstruction, like where the old flags are being held? Well, unless they kept their current one in a different spot. Maybe. But what I'm thinking, since it's in the same building, it's an inside job. I, I don't know. That, I don't think that it was. No. I don't think that it so was. So people just had access to that. It was a public building and they could go in? Yeah. It's a very public building. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, he it's at the 70s, so they probably had easier access and less security than they do now. That but. could be. I remember walking around and going into built, um, rooms that we weren't supposed to in the uh, Memorial Hall when I was a kid. The hall where the town you live in now. Yeah. I explored all over that place. And ran into some very interesting things that we probably weren't supposed to be playing with. I know, probably. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, so they found the grasshopper based on information they received from Frank W. Price. But they weren't certain who all was involved in the theft. But um, Captain Martin A. Murphy from the Massachusetts State Police said that arrangements were made with Frank Price's attorney for return of the grasshopper. So the attorney first produced the ball and spire of the weather weather vane, which he claimed had been stashed in a bus terminal locker. So, huh? like, they took the ball and spire with them when they left the building, but left the weather vane in the building. Right. And you would think that a ball and spire for a four-foot grasshopper weather vane would be rather big. Yeah, and a bus terminal locker typically is... Is not big. Like, it's the size of a purse. Right. And why would they leave the gold part... And take the non-valuable part. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very sketch. So um, upon recovery, the weather vane was found to be damaged, so they had to have it repaired. Um, it had to be regilded. Some of this could have just been wear and tear. Yeah. But um, it needed to be regilded. Uh, the 1889 coins and some of the other items were missing from inside the time capsule. Oh, they got in the time capsule. Yes. But not everything was missing, just some things. That could have been part of the motivation for the theft to get the coins. Because it's well documented that there was a time capsule. Yeah. Um, So once the repairs were complete, the mayor at the time, Kevin White, added a note to the capsule. He also put some gold and silver coins in there. And then on July 27th, 1974, it was placed back on top of Faneuil Hall. And this time, they added a locking device so it couldn't be stolen again. Well, very good. Yes. So nobody go up there and try, okay? Don't go try. I want to know, does the grasshopper part point to the wind? Or does it have arrows on the top that point it to the wind? It looks like, from the picture, it looked like the grasshopper part might, but I'd have to look again to be sure. Yeah. Well, so it would have to be a very significant wind, though, because that thing's 800 pounds, you 80. said. 80 pounds. 80, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it does have, like, the arrow things. Huh. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so... Um, from between 1990 and 1992, the grasshopper was removed while they renovated Faneuil Hall. And during that time, it was briefly displayed at the Museum of Fine Arts. But now it's back where it belongs and nobody can steal it. Because <laughs> it's got a locking mechanism. Yeah. Can so, they go inside of his tummy and get his thingy out? I don't think so. Um, so, yeah, like I said, the heist part was mostly from the New York Times. I also used the New England Historical Society. Hub History, and Walking Boston. Well, very fun. So that is the Golden Grasshopper. The Golden Grasshopper and Aesop's Fables. Mine was not gross. 
No, it wasn't. I'm so, very happy. The drink after being a little warm is kind of gross. Is it? I loved mine. It was mint chocolate chip ice cream. I can, you know, sip on that all day. I could not sip on it. That was enough for me. So <laughs> one and done on the grass. One and done. I like it. Well, I'm not sure that I gave a very good explanation of Aesop because I'm totally not an expert. No. And after this uh, cream de mint special, we might just be drunks. I think so. As always, you can contact us on Facebook at Crime and Time OTR. On Instagram, we are Crime and Time OTR. On Twitter, we're at Crime and Time OTR. And our email is Crime and Time OTR at gmail.com. Email is where you want to where you will want to send us cocktail suggestions, things Topics. you want to learn about. Yeah. yeah. Or just say hi. Or just say hi. And we also have a new Patreon page Yay. if you want to buy us a drink. Buy us a drink. So that is patreon.com slash crime and time otr and we're going to be offering some perks for our patrons absolutely i'm excited see you there thank you for listening